Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're here, glad you're ready to study the Bible, and hope that we all learn a little bit more about our Bible today. Uh, most of our viewers are regulars, I imagine, and know what's going on here, but we may have some first-timers. Let me explain what we do. We try to help people understand the Bible, and we do that by answering questions that people have about the Bible. So we don't tell you what we think you ought to know. We let you tell us what you'd like to know. So you direct the program, and we'll try to find answers to whatever your questions might be about the Bible or about something in life that the Bible might have a principle for. So that's what we'll do. There's a phone number and a website you can use any time on the screen there. Uh, get in touch with us. Tell us what you want to know. We'll try to deal with it just as quickly as we can. So that's the program. And when I say we will be answering questions, I mean my partner Toby Levering and I. Hi, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go. I'm Steve Tandy, and uh, we've got... A lot of good questions saved up and ready to work on, so let's get started. But we always give our viewers one first. Here we go. Who prophesied about the Valley of Dry Bones? Famous story in the Bible and pretty good song written about that, too. So <laughs> <laughs> who was the prophet that talked about the Valley of Dry Bones? And we'll give you the answer at the end of the program, see if you know that little bit of Bible information. And I think you get to go first today, Toby, so get us cranking person has a question about John the Baptist. Did John the Baptist ask people questions before he baptized them? Well, when you look at the uh, few occasions when Jesus or John the Baptist baptized someone, and of course the famous one is his cousin Jesus, uh, and, and uh, the scripture just simply doesn't say. He may have, um, but we need to remember uh, that John the Baptist baptized for a different reason uh, then we baptize under the new covenant and the baptism that Jesus commanded. Uh, the difference is, uh, one, there was no forgiveness of sins. It was repentance. It was done as an act of saying, I repent uh, from uh, the sins that I've been uh, living and the, the things that I've been doing, the things that I've been doing that are wrong and sinful. Uh, there's no mention of the Holy Spirit. Uh, which, is, of course, is promised to Christians when they're baptized into Christ. And it was under a different covenant. It was before the, the resurrection of Jesus, and it was under a different time. And just understanding that uh, the difference in the covenant that they were under is so crucial to understanding. Of course, John the Baptist was, was under the Jewish, the old, what we call the old covenant, the covenant of Moses, of the law. And it was, uh, there are different requirements for them than there are for us today living under the new covenant of Jesus Christ. Now, someone may not understand why are they asking this question. It seems kind of obscure. Well, I think maybe just trying to get around to say, well, 
you know, we want to baptize like John the Baptist baptized, and we don't see any evidence that he asked any questions or that he uh, mentioned any uh, of the things we might talk about at a baptism. And it, obviously, it's a, it was a different covenant and a different reason and a different time, and it was just different. Uh, let's look at Acts chapter 19, and this is a long passage, but uh, it tells us something a little bit about the difference between the two. Paul passed through the inland, the, uh, inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And uh, continuing on now, uh, they said, Into John's baptism. Uh, speaking with John the Baptist. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, so we, we clearly see Paul had to do some explaining even the first century. Uh, hopefully, as we read the New Testament, we under, understand the difference between John's baptism and uh, those who are baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of, the, of their sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right, very good. I was thinking as you answered that, I'm not sure he asked people questions, but yeah. one time he told the Pharisees yeah. he wasn't going to baptize them. Right, yeah. And I've never seen that. Yeah. <laughs> said, let's, what are you doing here? You want to be baptized for repentance? Let's see a little fruits yep. of repentance. Yep. Told them to straighten things out first. So exactly right. his baptism was different. All right, where does the Bible describe life in heaven? Somebody wants to know, all right, what's life in heaven going to be like, and where can I read about it? Well... Almost nowhere does the Bible talk about that. There's just really not much about it. We get a few hints sometimes, and people have all sorts of uh, imaginations and ideas about what heaven's going to be like. Uh, but my basic answer, the Bible just doesn't describe it. Uh, and in fact, about all it does is describe the opposite. It describes what it's not going to be like. Now... Fortunately, that's very good. Uh, so let's read that one little passage in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4 that does tell us what heaven won't be like. And the writer says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Uh, so... There's a pretty good answer of what life in heaven will be like. It won't be like life on earth. Uh, here we've got death, we've got pain, we mourn things, we lose loved ones, we cry. Uh, heaven's not going to be like that. Life is going to be so different uh, that we won't have any of those bad things. So exactly what it's going to be like, what it's going to be look like, are the streets going to be gold or not, the uh, Bible doesn't say that gives us those symbolic pictures maybe or maybe it's going to really be gold streets which will be fine with me uh, but it's going to be so so different so much better than earth uh, that that's all the bible tells us and that's good enough uh, paul does say that it the reward is so much greater than all of the bad things on earth uh, that it's not even worth comparing so it's it's going to be a wonderful place and that's why we're looking to get there. <laughs> exactly right. right. A viewer wants to know, are all sins the same? And uh, my answer to this is uh, uh, 
Yes and no. <laughs> In one sense, no. Uh, all sins are, are different. Um, you, you someone who's um, going down the, the road and the, the authorities have set up a speed limit of 40 miles an hour and you go over 41 miles an hour, technically that's a sin. Uh, you're violating the law. It's clearly posted. And uh, uh, the, the scriptures say we need to obey the, the laws and those in authority. And so that would be a sin. Um, the uh, uh, a person who is going down the, uh, driving down the road and they are drunk, they're inebriated, and they uh, slam into a, a car full of people and uh, they're all tragically killed. Things like that happen. And, okay, the person was sinning. And yet we know that there's going to be two very different set of consequences from violating the speed limit by one mile an hour versus drunk driving and, and having a wreck and uh, killing people. Uh, they, they all have different consequences and immediate consequences, long-term consequences here in this world. So they're two sins, but they're different. Now, in another sense, yes. They're the same in that, in that they all have the ultimate same consequence. Uh, the sin, the, the, the long term, the, the big consequence is that sin separates our, uh, us from God, our relationship from God. It drives us further and further apart from our Creator and our Father. But those sins that drive us apart are different for every person, and they have different consequences. Uh, people you might consider right and upstanding, they seem like they live a good life, they still have sin in their lives. They still have sin in their hearts. And God knows, Jesus knows what all of those sins are, but there just may not be any that have a lot of outward consequences. But there are some people who just live life the hard way. And they just get into it again and again, not only sinning, but getting into the types of sin that cause trouble for themselves, their family, their generations. Both of them separate us from God, but they have different consequences here in this world. Let's look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 17. The scripture says, all wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. Some use this scripture wrongly. They begin to classify sins. There's mortal sins and venial sins. And, and that's not what the Bible's talking about here. He's saying all wrongdoing is sin. And just like I said, but there are some sins that don't lead to physical death. Uh, there are some sins that, you know, you take someone's life and you do it in a, such a violent way, eventually you lose your own life. Um, there are other sins that lead to death. But all wrongdoing is sin. So regardless of what it is, the, the big problem that we all have is that our sin separates us from the Lord. And it drives us to need a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, that's, sin is serious, and we need to take it seriously uh, because God did. All right. Thank you, Toby. Let's uh, talk about a good way to study the Bible. And we've got some study tools that we're happy to share with you. <coughs> Uh, absolutely free of charge, but they're a great way to study the Bible. Here's the first set of lessons that we've offered for years and years. 
very good basic introduction. A lot of people have learned a lot about the Bible from this course. And then we've got some more advanced courses that most of our students go on to and uh, study the Bible for a long time with Know Your Bible Study Tools. We've recently added some online courses, and we're happy to offer those to you. Uh, they're obviously also free, but you don't get things in the mail, and you don't have to put them back in an envelope and mail them back. You can sit in front of your computer or sit with your cell phone or your tablet and study your Bible lessons. So oneway.worldbibleschool.org, uh, respond to that, and we'll get you started with some great Bible study lessons. Uh, that's in addition to the old ones. You can have either one, and uh, if you want to know the difference, call or log on and ask about it. But we'll, we're trying to give you more ways to know your Bible. So give us a call or log on or respond to that website that we just gave you. All right, before we get to the next question, well, it's up there. Let's just read it. I don't believe in baptism as taught on the show. Sprinkling will receive God's blessings. Why do so many churches believe as I do? All right, so the viewer starts out and says, I don't believe in baptism as taught on the show. So let's start there. What we teach on this show, if you've watched very long, is that baptism is when we are saved. We believe it's necessary for salvation. Uh, it's when we become new creatures. It's when we are forgiven. It's when we enter into his death. The Bible says all of those things, so it's essential. Uh, we teach that it is for adults, uh, people who can believe and understand and repent and confess and do all this. not for infants or people that don't understand what they're doing. And the mode that we teach on this program is immersion. That's what the word means, so we believe that's the way to do it, to be immersed, not sprinkled. So our viewer says, I don't believe that. Uh, I don't believe what you teach on the show. Sprinkling will receive God's blessings. And he says, a lot of churches believe what I believe. So, uh, all right, you mentioned that you believe it. You mentioned that a lot of churches believe it. Our standard is not what some people believe. Our standard is what's the Bible say? Uh, that's what we try to teach on this program. So let's, I think the best way to talk about this is just do a little history lesson real quick. Uh, when the Bible, Peter, Paul, all of them said things about being baptized, uh, nobody ever thought of anything except immersion. That's what the word meant. Uh, baptizo is the word used, and it means be immersed, dipped, plunged underwater. There was a whole different word for sprinkling, and that's not used. So uh, in the first century and for over a thousand years, uh, when anybody said be baptized, the only thing anybody ever thought of was be immersed. That's just the way it was. And uh, after a few hundred years, uh, some people started to occasionally uh, try clinical baptism, they called it. When somebody was so old and so sick that they couldn't be immersed, uh, they would sprinkle some water on them or pour some water on them and say, all right, we'll call that good. Uh, a lot of people didn't like that. It wasn't fully accepted, and it wasn't adopted as a equivalent to immersion for 1,300 years. In 1311, uh, the Catholic Church finally said, all right, we'll count sprinkling uh, as good as immersion. But understand, for 1,300 years, uh, nobody ever considered anything but immersion. 
when the church split the west and the east between the Roman Catholic Church and the Greek Orthodox Church uh, in 1054, one of the reasons uh, was the mode of baptism, and the Orthodox Church still immerses. So they practice what was practiced for the first thousand years. So uh, he also said a lot of churches believe like you do, and that's because by the 1500s, when the Protestant Reformation came along, uh, all of those people were coming out of the Catholic Church, and they were used to sprinkling. Uh, so most of them just continued on with that. Uh, the Anabaptists, the Baptists, and now the Bible says immerse, so we're going to immerse, but a lot of them still stuck with sprinkling. Um, so that's the history. Now, you say sprinkling will receive God's blessing. That's what you believe. I understand that. You've been taught that. Uh, you think that sincerely. Uh, and you may be right. I mean, God may say, okay, I'll accept this. But I don't have any biblical basis to think that. All I know from the Bible is the Bible says when it says be baptized, it means be immersed. So that's what we teach on this program. That's what we teach people. They need to be immersed. Uh, sometimes we get a question. I was sprinkled. Do I need to be immersed? We say, well, that's two different things. Uh, you were rantizoed. You weren't baptizoed. Uh, the Bible says be baptizoed. So, yes, you need to be immersed. So um, that's my answer to what you believe and what why so many churches believe it. Uh, one other thing I might point out, and let's close with looking at some scriptures. Just common sense helps us understand this. Let's look at some selected verses I found about being baptized. Uh, John 3.23 says, John was baptizing in Anon because there was much water there. Well, if sprinkling was okay, uh, he could have just carried a canteen and baptized anywhere. But he didn't. He was baptizing. He was immersing where there was much water. Acts 8.38, Philip and the eunuch. They went both down into the water and he baptized him. And the next verse says, they came up out of the water. If he was just going to sprinkle him, that was kind of silly to both of them get completely wet. They could have done that in the chariot. Uh, Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, here's the clearest verse. Uh, Paul says, when we're baptized, it's a picture. We're buried with him in baptism. And then we're raised up in newness of life. So uh, just common sense tells us the Bible talks about baptism. It means immersion. And that's what we teach on this program. It's what we'll probably keep teaching on this program. All right. Question about Lent. Yes. Uh, viewer wants to know, what is Lent? Lent is a uh, religious holiday. Uh, it's not mentioned or uh, there's no, no practice of it. Biblically speaking, uh, if you see, you know, it starts with what's called Ash Wednesday. You may see people with the the the, the cross uh, with that made out of uh, from ashes uh, on their foreheads, and uh, that is the beginning. Ash Wednesday is the beginning of this period called Lent, which is 40 days preceding Easter. Uh, I you don't count the Sundays or something, um, and. Not all Christian churches observe Ash Wednesday, but it's this time of 
prayer and repentance and fasting and focus on the Lord and in preparation for Easter. Um, the Bible, as I said, does not mention it. And you ask, uh, what is it? And that's what it is. The follow-up question might be, someone might be watching, is it, is it wrong to celebrate it or is it okay to celebrate it? Well, I, in my opinion, there's not any maybe harm in a time of focus on the Lord and, and pulling back from worldly behavior and focusing on that. But there's no biblical indication that it's required. And, and I think there's a little bit of something that Jesus warns against um, when he was preaching on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. He, he warned against outward religiosity. And in other words, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they love to pray when there was a big crowd. They, they love to give when everybody was there to see them put it in. And, you know, the practice of outward religiosity became a big problem in Jesus' day, and I think it can still be a danger today. When we're doing good works, when we're doing godly things and even good things, we're doing that only to be noticed by other people. Uh, another way I might put it is, like, you know, people can tell when you are, you know, got the little cross or the ashes on your forehead, oh, that person's celebrating Ash Wednesday and um, doing all of the things involved in the season of Lent and so forth. Uh, could a person celebrate those things without having any outward appearance? Yeah, certainly. And I think that would be even better because then it's between you and God. And if you want to have a time of repentance and more focus on prayer, maybe even fasting, that's great, um, but do that where God notices. Uh, that's what Jesus would be concerned with. Do things that only God can see because then we know you're not just doing it to be noticed by other people. So that's the danger. Uh, if you practice it, it's not a problem, but you won't find any command or example of it within the Scripture. It was a tradition that came along much, much later. All right, as long as we're on holidays, let's try Halloween. Sure, we go. go from one, one spectrum, end of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, the other. a little different here. If you're asked to know why people, why do people not like Halloween? Uh, well, I assume they're talking about some Christians don't believe Christians should have anything to do with Halloween. <clears throat> Uh, some people might not like Halloween because it costs too much for candy or <laughs> that, but I don't think that's what our viewers are asking about. Um, and let's kind of work through it here. There are some Christians that are very opposed to anything to do with Halloween. Don't want to celebrate in any way. Don't want their kids to dress up as Mickey Mouse or anything. Uh, and the viewer says, why is that? Well, uh, the reason is because the origins of Halloween uh, have some things to do with the Day of the Dead. Uh, some people believe there are occult backgrounds to it and a worship of things that we shouldn't be worshiping and there's evil spirits involved. And uh, If you study the history of Halloween as it came to America, you'll, you'll find some of that questionable. But people believe that, well, it's had evil beginnings, so we shouldn't have anything to do with it. First uh, Thessalonians 5.22 does say, flee the very appearance of evil. Uh, not just flee things that are evil, but if it even looks kind of evil, stay away from it. So I think some people follow that and believe sincerely that, no, you shouldn't have anything to do with Halloween. 
Uh, other Christians in good conscience look at it as just a fun holiday. Uh, kids dress up as some character and they go get free candy and it's a fun event and all that. Uh, they don't worry about the background of it. Uh, they reason that, hey, a lot of things that we've used and practiced uh, have questionable beginnings, uh, like the names of our days of the week, Thursday. Uh, it's named after Thor. Well, when you say Thursday, you're not worshiping Thor. You're not thinking of the Greek gods. Uh, it just doesn't occur to you. So some people reason through Halloween like that, that no, it's just a different thing. It's just a fun holiday, and they observe it. So I think this is one of those things that Paul counseled people about. Uh, some people think study or uh, observe days one way and some do it another and don't be judgmental about each other so uh, if you believe sincerely you shouldn't have anything to do with Halloween that's fine uh, I don't think you can impress that on other people or enforce it on other people uh, conversely if you believe it's okay and it's just fun uh, don't make a big deal out of it and don't send your kids trick-or-treating at somebody's house that you know doesn't like Halloween. So be considerate of each other. But that's why some people don't like Halloween, I think. All right, let me invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. And we mention a few each week because we're kept on the air by Churches of Christ. And today, let me mention a number of them up in the uh, Iowa-Illinois market. Uh, we're broadcast out of Rock Island, the Quad Cities there, and the churches in Sterling and Moline and Muscatine. Uh, all are supporters of this program, and we appreciate them and uh, want to tell them thank you. And if you live in those areas, we invite you to drop in at the Sterling Church of Christ or Moline or Muscatine. Uh, you'll find a great group of people that think and study about the Bible a lot like we do on this program. Uh, so give them a visit, or if you know a member at one of those churches, tell them thank you for providing the program for you and uh, drop in and visit sometime. If whatever market you're in, there's probably a church of Christ near you. Give them a visit, and we appreciate it. All right, so we got time for another one or two, maybe. to know about the difference in tithing and offering? What is the difference between the offering we give in church and tithing? Well, okay, a tithe is technically means 10%. It was something that was required of all Israelites. They were required to give 10% of their income of what they made, a first fruits offering toward the Lord, and they were required to give that to the priest. Anything beyond the tithe uh, over and above that was considered an offering, and there were different types of offerings. Uh, today, under the new covenant, we don't have a command. I can't point to you a verse that says, Thou shalt tithe. It was a different system and a different way of doing things. But I do think it is a good point of reference. Uh, the scripture is clear, especially the book of Hebrews, uh, how in every way the new covenant is better and exceeds that of the old covenant. Uh, so I think a tithe, although it's not technically required, gives us as good starting place as we consider our own offering. Uh, some people will say, for example, uh, they'll use the word tithing generically. They'll say, I tithe to my church. 
but unless they give 10%, they're technically not tithing. They're just giving to the church. Uh, and I, it's just a common misconception of how people use the word. Let's look at a scripture from the New Testament. There are several that address money and the topic of giving. Paul wrote, Each of you should give whatever you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful <clears throat> giver. And uh, in, under the New Covenant, it's a free will response. And, and we consider all that God has done for us, we respond in kind. Those people don't know where to start or how much to give. And so they just uh, begin to um, uh, put in little by little. So anyway, that's the difference, and I hope that helps. All right, trivia question for the day. Who wrote about the Valley of Dry Bones? And that was Ezekiel in Chapter 37. Glad you've been with us. Hope you come back next week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.